Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio, Season 2, Episode 11, a bonus episode to close out Season 2. Today I am joined by the Venerable Dr. Buddha Rakita. Uh, Buddha Rakita is an Irish native. He has a Bachelor in Science and a PhD from University College Dublin. He also has a diploma in Buddhism from ITBMU in Myanmar, which is the International Theravada Buddhist Missionary University. Now, before Buddha was a Theravada monk, he enjoyed a successful engineering career in the semiconductor chip fabrication. He has practiced meditation extensively in his life prior to becoming a monk, so what we refer to as his lay life. He was first ordained in 2006, so approximately 12 years ago, in the Theravada forest tradition with two decades of training with renowned meditation masters across a range of practices. He has more than 30 years experience living, working and practice meditation in Europe, USA, Asia and Australia and his teaching has been well received. On a personal note, I've had many um, very interesting discussions with Buddha Rikita over the last month or so as he is based in a monastery just outside of uh, Perth here, so about an hour's driveway in Serpentine um, with the Buddhist Society of Western Australia, um, which I think is one of the biggest Buddhist societies in Australia, um, if not the biggest. So in this episode, we discuss uh, sleep, mindfulness. Now, you might be thinking this is a bit similar to a previous episode we have with Melissa Ree, but it, I can assure you it's quite different. And um, you will hear in this episode some very interesting um, takes on meditation and mindfulness from a Buddhist perspective. But also as well, you will see that Buddha Rikita at the heart of it is a scientist as well, and he goes into discussion into many great uh, studies that have been conducted over the last few years. I think you really enjoy this. I had a great time doing this episode and even a better time listening to it in the editing and I've listened to it about three or four times already and every time I listen to it I get more out of it so this might be one you might want to play over and over again to keep getting a few good nuggets of information. Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Today I am joined by a very special guest, which I'm going to butcher his name like I butcher everybody's name. So can you tell us your name, pronounce it right, because I never get it right. So I'm uh, Buddha Rakita. Buddha Rakita. Why do I keep saying Buddha Rikita? Buddha Rakata. Rak- Buddha Rakita. Rakita. I'm going to have to say that like I'm a four-year-old spelling out the syllables. Yes. So today with Buddha Rakita, I am here in the just outside of Perth, um, in an area called Serpentine, where you reside in a, a Buddhist monastery. That's right. It's a it's a, a forest monastery in the Thai tradition. 
So the abbot of this monastery is uh, Ajahn Brahm. Yep. So he's quite well known. You type in Ajahn Brahm or Brahm, B-R-A-H-M. A Thai monk? Mm, well, I am uh, in the Thai forest <laughs> tradition, but yeah, I'm Irish by origin. So um, yeah, I'm an Irish monk. An Irish <laughs> one of four. One of four one of four in the Thai forest tradition. One of four? Not, not even Thai forest tradition. One of four in the Theravada tradition. In yeah. the Theravada? So there's only four Irish monks in Theravada in this tradition? That I know of, yeah. One is in Sri Lanka, and one is in England, one is in Thailand, and one is here in front of you in Australia. Oh, so 25% strike rate so far. Yeah, you, you've <laughs> met a quarter of the Sangha, Irish Sangha, yeah. So recently, um, I actually heard about... Uh, an Irish monk who was in a Theravadan tradition from mm. Burma called Damaloka. Mm. Have yeah, you? he's one of the very first of the Western monks. Yeah, so Dam Damaloka, he was a uh, an Irish. Yeah, yeah, monk. I just forgotten his name. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. He was uh, he he ordained in the 1800s in 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 Burma. Yeah, and he 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 passed away in Singapore actually. Um, but he was one of the first monks. But I know very little about what he did or who he practiced with. So a very quick story, which is not part of this podcast, <laughs> which I heard about was... You can tell me later. He, he, well, I'll tell everybody because it's actually pretty interesting. Yeah. He was actually a fairly bad alcoholic who mm. made his way to the States okay. and then got kicked off the boat um, somewhere around Japan on an island, made his way down through Asia, through China, down into Burma where the Theravadan yeah. monks dried him out. Yeah. He became a monk and then he actually protested against the English in that region. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, so he was pretty prolific in that area and then yeah. died. But he's seemingly supposed to be the first Western person yeah. to be ordained into any Tibetan, or sorry, any, any Buddhist Theravada tradition, Theravadan or any yeah, tradition. He's, right. he's one of the first anyway, Because yeah. I think the first white person in Tibetan was supposed to, in the Tibetan culture, was supposed to be like in the 20s or something. So he seems to supersede that now. Yeah, he was, but uh, there was a German monk as well, um, uh, Jana Tiloka and Jana uh, Ponica, and they were early as well, they were about 1904, but I think that the Irish monk was even earlier, even maybe in the late, 18, late 1800s. All right. That's good to set the scene, because some people have got yeah. Irish, Buddhism, yeah. that's completely yeah. crazy, so it's good that we set the scene that you're yeah. not the first. <laughs> yeah, no, no, even like people like uh, William Butler Yeats, the Nobel Laureate in English, oh, yeah? was, um, I mean, he was familiar with a lot of the, some Buddhist ideas and so forth, you know, so that, that kind of... There was a, a talk I went to in Ireland actually about the history of Buddhism in Ireland, which is oh. surprisingly long <laughs> and really? thin. But uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't even know that about W.E. yet, so I have to, mm. have to look up. I used to drive by his grave every week mm. in the military. So, anyway, so the reason we have you on today mm. is to speak about this new crazy craze that yeah. everybody's talking about the magic bullet. The magic bullet, the savior of all. Yeah. meditation and mindfulness mm. but we want to talk a little bit today about um you know meditation and mindfulness and mm. its benefits to sleep mm. so can you just give us a quick overview of what i suppose how meditation and mindfulness fits into the, mm. the into buddhism in general how meditation general, yeah. and mindfulness fits, fits into, into buddhism yeah. uh well the buddha taught a lot of different uh, methods of meditation and um mindfulness is one of these methods that he taught and uh, it particularly came out of Burma and the Burmese tradition um, into the West. So mindfulness has now been incorporated into various techniques in psychology like uh, CBT, cognitive-based therapy. And um, so it's, it's, it's kind of been one of the first uh, methods of meditation that has 
shall we say, gone gone viral and gone around the planet. And uh, but when it came down, when it comes down to sleep in particular, it wasn't actually what the Buddha recommended around sleep. He recommended more concentration, what we call concentration or tranquility type meditations, to tranquilize the mind, to calm it down and quiesce the mind. So different meditations like loving kindness or compassion or sympathetic joy or forgiveness or gratitude, which can be objects of meditation in them in themselves, are more likely to help you around sleep although mindfulness itself may be uh, helpful for instance in recognizing different mental states like agitation or anxiety or fear uh, that may be arising so um, mindfulness is very useful it's it's like an overseer it's mm. it's cultivating that sense of self-awareness um, stepping back from what's happening in the mind and you know recognizing what's happening and you know you, that may be a symptom in sleep disorders yeah you know like i feel anxious why am i not sleeping because i feel anxious well i need to know that i feel anxious and i can look into various at aspects or attributes of uh, anxiety in my body like for instance i feel tension in different areas i'm constricted i'm having um, anxious thoughts and then i can sort of think well okay i need to calm that down so I can switch then from a mode of mindfulness to a mode of, we'll say, loving kindness or compassion or, you know, whatever other tranquility, like some people would do counting, like say yeah. count from one to five and then five back down to one. Like the count. <laughs> like the count, yeah, like, we, like in Sesame Street. And, um, you know, we can do a lot of things. You know, but we need to diagnose the situation first. So that's where mindfulness is extremely useful. But uh, I, th I think you can see now more and more in psychology that other techniques of meditation are coming in, like loving kindness is becoming very, very prevalent. And also in therapy as well is compassion meditation. So um, it, it, it's taking a lot of that edge out of cognitive based therapy. You know, where people are just, just being mindful, just being mindful. Well, I'm having a bloody panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, maybe I need to do something about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that's, you know, where we need to tranquilize ourselves, like uh, where we can do some sort of calming meditation or walking meditation or something else. So mindfulness and meditation are completely different because I think these two things are getting snowballed into one thing at the moment, mm. that mindfulness and meditation is all the one. But what you're saying is mm. that they're completely different. Um, no, I, I, uh, mindfulness is a kind of meditation, okay. is a class of meditation. And uh, there's just like the, the Buddha taught a whole load of different tools. And, um, you know, so this, this one tool out of the, the box, one of the most useful tools um, is mindfulness. Mm. But uh, it's not the only tool that was in the box. So... Um, you know, uh, just, you know, it, it would be, it would be foolish to describe, you know, like if you're a workshop, like your, your multi-wrench or something like that as mindfulness and just say, well, when I say mindfulness, it means all of meditation. It doesn't. Yeah. There are a lot of other specific types of uh, meditations and they all have their functions. And um, so, for instance, like loving kindness, its, its function is, is to be the antidote, the opposite in nature to anger. 
So you could say that um, anxiety or fear or anger itself are forms of aversion, a form of dislike. So the opposite in nature, the antidote to that is loving kindness, a sense of friendliness. So sometimes it can be skillful to cultivate friendliness as the antidote to anxiety and in that way you'll get into sleep. Because you're not getting into sleep, for instance, because of anxiety or fear or something like that. Mm. Uh, so our way of, of draining that swamp is to just simply put more time and effort into cultivating and growing the loving kindness. So actually meditation itself is a kind of a misword that um, I, I, the Buddha didn't say meditation really. He talked about cultivating the heart, what he called bhavana. So he used the same word around cultivating cattle or cultivating rice. You cultivate the heart. So you can cultivate different kinds of mental um, object. So one object of the mind is friendliness. So we can cultivate different mental states. So maybe somebody who has, is very prone to anxiety, they've cultivated a tendency towards, a habit towards anxiety. So from the thought arises the habit, and from the habit arises the character. So we would say an anxious character is somebody who has cultivated the habit of anxiety. So one way for them to, to detoxify as, uh, from this, you know, it is, it is a toxic emotion when it is overly exercised. I mean, it is, it is necessary and healthy to be anxious, especially towards something that is fearful. You know, if, 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 a, if a tiger jumps out of yeah. the woods, you better be anxious or else you're going to be a lunch for somebody else. And um, so anxiety and anxiousness are uh, certainly um, fear and so forth are, are very... Um, coded into us we have we have adrenaline we have we have the fight or flight system so it's part of our physiology to be fearful of dangerous things but when we when we make a habit out of these fears then they become what we might call the state of fear is anxiety so the, the momentary experience of fear is very healthy but a, a repetitive habit habituation of the mind into fearfulness is is what we would call anxiety so how to count, counter that, shall we say, habit of the mind is to cultivate its opposite in nature. So rather than feeding the weeds, we try to put the fertilizer on the, the good thing, the good, you know, the good stuff. We cultivate the good mm. and we neglect the unskillful things. So whatever we put into the mind will have its effect, it'll have its output. So if I keep putting in fear into my mind, I will have anxiety as an output. If I put in loving kindness into my mind, then I will have like, you know, calmness and friendliness and an openness as well towards, towards, um, towards the unknown or towards other things. So this is a very interesting area that you're mm. speaking about because mm. many people, whether, you know, they're a student, they're an executive, they're a professional athlete, mm. will talk about anxiety and stress, particularly mm. prior to sleep. Mm. They're frustrated over something that happened during the mm. day, they've got a problem with mm. somebody, they've watched the news, they mm. get all kind of riled up before they go to sleep. Mm. So is this something that people can actually use to bring them back down into a more relaxed state to promote the onset of sleep? Mm. Is it a strategy that people can use in their, in their daily life? And if so, how, mm. can you give an example of how that might work for somebody? Well, like, um so one of the aspects would be mindfulness, you know, so I am mindful that I am watching, you know, 
whatever it is, Fox Television, before I go to sleep, and I'm getting all riled up by these talking heads who are just throwing out uh, news bites, and I and I and, and I'm I'm susceptible to that clickbait. Mm. So that's my habit, or I, that's what I'm giving my time to. So sometimes it's very good to just simply, you know, have have some tracker in my life that's tracking what are my actual activities. I mean, a lot of people want to get off their addiction around phones and all of that. Well, just put an app tracker on your phone and, and get real about what you're actually putting your eye on mm. a lot of the time. And um, so if I'm putting a lot of my time on Fox television before I go to sleep, I, I've really got to be disciplined around weaning myself off of that and just making a very conscious decision that this is not helpful in my life. And, you know, if I really desperately want to know the news, fine, but I need to, um, you know, be very cautious about when I actually um, do that. Like, I'll give you, I, I'll give an example was, there's a very famous uh, academic called Noam Chomsky, and he was having grinding of teeth, which is another issue that people get sometimes around sleep. Brookson. And... Um, they couldn't find out when he, you know, so they were tracking and was it during his sleep? He wasn't aware of when he was grinding teeth, but he was grinding his teeth actually when he was reading the, the newspaper. So he had to be learn to be very aware when he was reading the newspaper that he was grinding his teeth. Yeah, yeah. So like, the, I, like I may not be aware that say watching Fox, I, and I don't mean to discredit Fox, I'm just giving it as a name. Oh no, so you that can we discredit can all, it, I don't sponsor this podcast. So <laughs> that we, 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 we can just talk around a reference point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like for instance, we, you can watch Fox and and be informed by it yeah. as well. Like, um, to be honest, if we if we're all left leaning liberal, uh, we can be very dissociated from right leaning people and not understand where they're coming from. And like, I was very amused. I teach a lot of meditation to people, and a lot of the people who tend to come to my meditation class tend to be left-leaning. And they were completely blindsided by Brexit and by um, Trump's election. And I kept on saying to them, you know, watch out, this is coming. And they were like, no way, you know, he's, yeah, yeah. Th these are complete idiots. But, you know, they were blindsided. And, yeah. and so they were the, really the idiot, you know, and, and they, they didn't realize they were in such a, a media bubble. But, uh, you know, so being very self-aware is, 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 is firstly the diagnostic. We need a, the tracker in our life. And the tracker in mentally is, is this function of the mind called awareness, self-awareness. Now, this isn't hypervigilance, which is a more of a fear-based phenomena. So sometimes when I say to people, be mindful, it's quite interesting. Like uh, I've seen it particularly a difference between men and women. Uh, like uh, whenever I say to teach meditation, to, to a group, a mixed group, I notice men are very overconfident. You know, they, they, they always overestimate themselves. And uh, what I realize is that they're just being, um, how to say, self-aware or self-conscious. They're self-conscious rather than self-aware. So there's a big difference between self-awareness and self-conscious. Self-consciousness is that I'm thinking, what are other people thinking of me? Self-aware is I don't care about what other people are thinking of me. I'm just thinking about myself, what's happening. Okay, very big difference. Um, whereas like I found a lot of women tend to underestimate their self-awareness. Uh, they, they, they tend to not give themselves a lot of credit around this. So uh, they can be practicing quite well, quite self-aware of what's happening in their body and their mind. 
and underestimate, dismiss it as like that's nothing. Whereas like men are, can be very out of their body, not in touch with how they feel or how they think or what they're doing, but they think that that um, that they're doing a great job, <laughs> you know, and they look they're, they're trying to look the part. But we are. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, you know, I mean, it depends on what the goal is here, you know, if, if, if the mission is to, uh, to cultivate mindfulness, then they're really not on mission at all. They're just thinking they're prima donnas. Um, so when we cultivate mindfulness, we, we can understand what states are going on. So for instance, like um, if, if I'm in fear or if I'm in shame, I may be aware that I have a lot of tension in my intestines or in my heart or my solar plexus, or I'm cramping or I have a tensed fist or something like that. So uh, coming back to our foxtail, our fox situation, I, it's, it's before my bedtime, I'm watching the 10 o'clock news, and I'm getting all tense. I'm, I'm like, you know, holding onto my armchair, and I'm tensed yeah. up, and I'm reactive, and they're throwing out all this clickbait, because we're, we're, we're really designed for fear. We're designed for threat. So these guys are going to keep, like, news doesn't mean news. It means bad news. Yeah. There's no good news. We're, we're not interested <laughs> in the, the fireman who climbed up the tree and saved the cat. That's not the key item. It's the latest ridiculous thing that Trump has done or Turnbull has done. And, you know, can Ooh. you believe it? Turnbull. Oh, yeah, he got, well, he got gone on. Now, he's yeah. gone now. Yeah, no, another, <laughs> another coup. Yeah, another. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, so that's how we get, you know, we should be self-aware of how am I responding to this um, because it's just information, you know, it, it really is information and what I do with that information is my business because that's my boundary, my, my hearing, my, what I hear, what I see is my boundary, what I do with what I hear and see, that's my business, you know, so if, if a fox are throwing at me some really, you know, very irritating and annoying stuff and I take that in and I get very annoyed by it, that's my business, it's not yeah, their yeah. business. And if, if my goal, if my mission is, is to get a good night's sleep, well, then maybe this isn't my business to be listening to this. If I can't manage that information skillfully, you know, we're not all Teflon. We're not all Zen about yeah, yeah. what's happening in the world, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, you know, so maybe we need to pick another time of the day to pick up our news and that's more skillful. So garbage in, garbage out. But taking that example about the yeah. news before bed and, you know, sort of reducing anxiety and making yourself more relaxed to induce yeah. sleep, can we even take that further throughout yeah. our day and bring that sort of, uh, I, I suppose for want of a better word, that kind of filtering system, what I choose to absorb, yeah. what I choose to watch, my exposure mm. hours to a certain thing that might be making mm. me crazy. Mm. Can we bring that into our day and say, look, at work, mm. you know, uh, John X in the corner drives mm. me absolutely crazy, so I'm just going to mm. see him once a day. I'm not going to keep interacting with him, you know, and I'm going to mm. give that person, you know, some loving kindness towards that person and, and turn it into more of a kind of a positive thing than more of a, a negative thing. Will that then help throughout the day? So if we kind of, mm. you know, push that back up the, up the food chain, so to speak, in our day, do we, do, can, we, can that help us even reduce mm. further anxiety for night? Because some people just come out of work at five o'clock and mm. they're completely wound mm. up. Mm. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, back, back in the day, I used to always cycle to work and cycle home from work. And uh, uh, I, was, I was married and my wife, my wife would not pick me up from work. I had to cycle home because that was my like one hour to decompress. How <laughs> if, far was if, that? 
it was about I I, I lived about an hour an from hour. work. Okay. I would cycle. That that was my whole yeah. thing. I I, w- I lived within cycling distance of work. <laughs> yeah. No matter where I was on the planet, and um, that, you know that was a design feature of my life. You know, um, I I didn't like driving. I didn't like the commute. I don't like traffic. You know, jams. And I would I would I would cycle off peak. I would you know have to. I would avoid traffic hours so I used to I think I used to come into work at 10 o'clock in the morning and leave at about 7 or 8 in the evening because I would be just avoiding traffic so like I'm a big fan of like um, I mean if you think about an airplane landing on a runway it doesn't land on the runway there's a very long uh, flight path into the runway you know, they, 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 you, you don't like just suddenly drop out of the yeah, sky boom, bang. and bang. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. happen and it's all going to be beautiful. You know, the pilots, are, by the time you're actually landing on the runway, it's too late. Like I view sleep as an emergent property. So uh, what I do all day long is going to affect my sleep. Okay. And if I get a good night's sleep, it's going to affect all day long my performance in the day. Mm. So like good sleep begets good sleep and bad sleep begets bad sleep. So the proximate cause of bad sleep is maybe a bad day. And the proximate cause of a bad day was I had bad sleep the night before. So once I start to see that kind of um, uh, negative cycle that's going on in my life, I've got, to, I've got to make a very strong disciplined effort to change my behaviors because many, many behaviors are going to have to change. So like, this is why I resent like that. People will say, oh, uh, you just, just do mindfulness and you'll fix everything. Be mindful. You forget it. <laughs> you know, you're, I am very mindful of that very annoying colleague. No, that's not a, a good thing to do. As you mentioned, maybe it would be skillful for me to not maximize my time with that person. Now, I'm not saying avoidance is the opposite. Avoidance is also numbing and it's also mm. uh, uh, a form of aversion and it may be very unhealthy. So we have to practice skillful boundaries in body, speech and mind with people. So, for instance, if I have to work, you know, for instance, I'm, if I'm on customer service and I have very difficult customers, supposing I'm in the complaints department, <laughs> You know, it's not like people are going to come up and not complain yeah, yeah. because that's what the department is for. <laughs> you know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine works in quality and he says everything is everything is a quality issue, i.e. everything is a complaint. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you have to know and understand the job that you're in and you have to uh, sort of very proactively, you know, build your life around the issues that you're going to face in your life. So, like, taking care of oneself so one of the meditations that i really wanted to mention highly is forgiveness itself and forgiveness is is three parts to forgiveness one is i i have accountability so this comes back to something else that's been mentioned on another podcast is i make a list so maybe i write down my insults and injuries that i've been afflicted today you know my top 10 uh, afflictions of the day but I would also like to add to that list, you know, of other things, maybe things I want to do tomorrow. But very, the most important and probably at the head of that list are the three things that I'm grateful for today. What are the three things today that I am grateful for? And it could be the sunrise or it could be I didn't get a flat on my bicycle getting to work or, you know, somebody opened a door for me or somebody let me in or somebody just was helpful or kind or smiled or like, you know, something a kid did that was funny, you know? What am I grateful for today? Because that's setting up a very positive state of mind for sleep. And um, 
again, like the Buddha broke down sleep into three phases of easy to get to sleep, sleep well, and wake up well. And uh, these, what we call samadhi or concentration or tranquility meditations, do that for sleep. They will help you with the three phases of sleep. And, you know, gratitude and forgiveness are very, very helpful. Like supposing I'm very irritated, you know, with, with some very difficult customer that I've had all day in my face. Okay, I acknowledge that I have had a hard time. I'm sorry. I apologize to myself for being in that situation, maybe. Or I apologize for my behavior towards that person. I reacted badly towards them. I apologize. And then the third aspect is amends. What am I going to do about this? How am I going to really do something about this so that I mitigate it or I do, you know, I, I'm not reactive going forward. I'm going to do something towards that. And it may be a long-term mission to, to drain that swamp. Mm. You know, it might require a change of career. I'm in the wrong industry. I'm in the wrong thing. Or it could be just simply, I need to change my diet. I need to change my news reading habits or whatever my habit is. Without information, mindfulness is the key thing for picking up the information. It's the tracker. Once we know what the issue is, we can talk to other people. We can find out, get advice and make start making changes. But that's really hard work. Changing behavior is very difficult. It's the most difficult thing. Do you find that the... The uh, the gravness thing, because when you said I actually just mm. remembered, I had a few snapshots in my head of yeah. examples when mm. people talk about being grateful. And I find that that is now similar to mindfulness, where everybody's like, yeah. just be mindful, just be mindful, yeah. which means just be happy and don't yeah. tell me your problems. Yeah. Where the grateful thing as well is now being used in yoga studios, yeah. coffee shops, yeah. young hippies going, the minute you start saying about problems, got, just mm. be grateful. Tell me the three things you're grateful for. Mm. And that just seems to be this kind of wash over um, yeah. for everything as well. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Do you see that happening? Because it's something I have noticed lately. Well, like, you know, sometimes sometimes a good thing gets gets taken and beaten to death, you know, like fat free <laughs> means basically laced in sugar. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> it's fat free. You're not going to put on w w fat. No, no, you're going to put on loads of fat because it's full of sugar. Diabetes enriched. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's about skillfulness, using these things very skillfully. Uh, like gratitude is, is a very useful emotion to have. Like um, it's like an airbag in a car. You know, if, if you've done gratitude as a regular practice, you, f you find that it deploys in the most difficult situations. Like, um, like I'll give you an example from my own life. My, 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 my own father passed away last January and as he passed away, I, I was with him in the very moment of his death, I felt a tremendous gratitude for my dad. So I, I didn't actually feel the normal sense of grieving and sadness and loss. I felt immense gratitude. So it's, it's that, like having trained a lot my mind. I mean, gratitude is something I take really seriously. You know, so I, 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 I again, like when people go into the Pollyanni, you know, of where they, you know, they, they've been sick, sipping the Kool-Aid of gratitude. Uh, like, I'm like, boy, you really have not tasted the taste of gratitude. If you knew how profound gratitude is, that is just man. That is like the best engineered uh, car for the an accident, you know. 
You know, when you when you read when you read about or hear about the safety systems in cars and it's a horrific accident and people just walk out of it and they look yeah. back at their car and go, I'm buying another one of those. <laughs> you know, that's gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Like it can be really shocking, like of like, wow, that so rocks. And uh, like you can you can cultivate gratitude. You can like People don't know what like um, military grade gratitude is like in the face of a difficulty. I mean, it is absolute lock and load. It is such a weapon against real difficulty because the problem with a lot of people is just that they're in scarcity and gratitude is I have enough. And that is such a psychological shift in a difficult situation. So like when my dad passed away, I wasn't in loss. I was in like, I am so grateful for what this person did for me in my life. You know, so I, I didn't grieve a loss and it helped me so much with the change. Now, it, it, I did have sadness, but I wasn't bereft. Mm. You know, I didn't fall into this like, you know, swamp of powerlessness and, you know, like where it becomes a toxic grieving process. It was a, it was a beautiful grieving process of like, of, of savoring that person's life in my life. You know, that was really helpful. Mm. So gratitude is really useful and, it, and it's a habit and you, you do it, do it daily. Do it daily and just keep doing it and you'll probably think, well, there's nothing much to this. You know, all those hipsters are just, you know, being very annoying. <laughs> but, you know, when you hit the wall, watch the airbag deploy and be yeah. very surprised. You know, and I'll give you another, I'll give you, I'll give you some real science around this. There was a, an economics faculty in Canada who did a, a, a very simple experiment. They went around and gave envelopes out at a, a park in, in Toronto or in Vancouver, wherever it was, right? This is, this is a really big study that's been done lots of times, repeated. I know a lot of social sciences get knocked for lack of repeatability, but this one is repeatable. So two different envelopes. Uh, $5 in both envelopes, two different instructions. One was spend this on yourself and the other one was spend this on somebody else. Okay, and the only proviso was that we will call you tonight and we'll just ask you with some follow-up questions. So the questions that they were asking was, you know, basically, how do you feel about yourself? Do you feel good or bad? You know, they didn't ask what you did with the money. They just asked, you know, did you spend it or did you, did you were you in that group that spent it on, on yourself or on another? So which do you think were the ones that were so-called happier? The group that spent on themselves, the five bucks, or this group that spent on, on others? I'm going to answer this because, I'll tell you why, <laughs> I'm going to answer it this way. Okay. Is... Because the other day, I bought the big issue off a guy who was selling mm. the big issue on the street, mm. Mm. and it was pissing rain outside. And I handed him twenty dollars. Mm. He goes, "I'll give you the change." And I went, "No." And he felt he was so thankful afterwards. Mm. And I walked away, and I felt so good for nearly mm. two days. Mm. And I said to my wife, mm. "By giving that guy thirteen dollars, mm. which I could have spent on a coffee yeah. and a sandwich, I would have even blinked and made his day." He nearly yeah. followed me to the car, thanking me for this money. Yeah. So my answer would be the people who gave the money away yeah. Or, yeah, or spent yeah. it on someone else. So do you think, would it make a difference whether it was $5 or $20? Does the amount make a difference? Probably not. Do you think the religion makes a difference? No. But this study has been repeated all over the world. Do you think location in the world matters? Probably not. Okay, do you think if the money was a seriously large amount of money, where it was like a month's wage it would make a difference. It'd make a difference to the recipient. 
but to the because they were given people. this in India. They went over yeah. uh, where 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 twenty dollars or five dollars made uh, where it was it was a month's wage. Yeah, maybe maybe the bigger it gets, the more it increases. Might might be a cutoff. I'm not okay, sure. Okay, so yeah. they even repeated this with saliva testing. You're one of your fortes. You know, looking at the immune uh, response in the saliva. You know, basically, uh, if your immunity is bumped up. Oh yeah, uh, I, d I definitely think this was this. You know, this so, so basically, yeah, yeah. it's 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 a yeah, correlate yeah, yeah. with with positivity yeah. or with happiness. Is is that you yeah. you know your immune system gets a boost. Oh, and just asterisk footnote to the audience: Budarakita has a PhD in chemistry as well, so yeah, he's not yeah. just a lunatic. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a PhD on, on the podcast. No, but he's a PhD at everything here. <laughs> okay, so so which which is it? I think yeah, it increases. It makes them happier. Yeah, consistently across yeah. all was generosity. So all those metrics, all, all of them, all of them, most consistently was generosity, and not only were they getting a positive response that evening, but also six weeks later. Really? Yeah, six weeks later, and in from that one act. From that one act. Yeah, there was a, there was a, they could distinguish between the group six weeks later, and and I would, I would add, I would add since since like uh, one of the the ways you can develop gratitude is is you can just remember any event from your life. So it doesn't have to be six weeks ago. It could be when you were six months old or yeah, six yeah. weeks old or six years old, whenever you remember. You know, and we can pick out those key events. And I find it very, very helpful. Like in, in Buddhism, one of the most basic things in Buddhism is we start with generosity. And one of the reasons that I really feel as a Buddhist monk that generosity is such a foundation to us is that it's about the practice of non-scarcity. You know, so the only time that we know that we are wealthy and have enough is not when we get our paycheck at the end of the month, but it's actually when we can put our money uh, hand in the pocket and do something like that 17, you know, the, the 13 extra dollars you paid yeah, yeah. for your magazine. You know, why could you, why could you do that? Because you were wealthy. Like we normally, we, we, we're sensitive around this word wealthy, you know, but when I mean wealthy, wealthy is more than enough. Yeah, I I had more than enough. I, it it doesn't mean I'm I'm blinged out and and <laughs> you know I got a Bugatti or something. That isn't wealth. That's just you know that's riches or something else. Yeah, yeah. For me, genuine wealth is I have more than enough. And yeah. when I have more than enough is when I can actually share yeah. and be generous with with things. And that that is the opposite to scarcity. So one of the reasons we won't sleep well is because we're in scarcity. I feel bad about myself. It's not enough. I worked hard all day, but it wasn't enough. I, you know, you know, when, when like, like in life, we're often just, you know, we're just trying to be ahead of the burn rate. You know, we're, we're our spend, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we're just trying to stay ahead of the spend. And, you know, if you've got a mortgage and car repayments and you've got kids, you know what, you, you don't have a lot of money. You're just you're just trying to match the burn here okay and but you need to feel good about you know that's still enough it's enough we have enough for today i have more than enough for today i could spend that extra 13 dollars on the thing and okay you know we will be okay we've still got the roof over our head you know but most people i think aren't even thinking about today the average 30 year old is thinking about when they're 65 they're, they're not to thinking to about when they're 65. Realistically, they're not. No, no, but they're thinking about in terms of finance because the, the, the society has kind of conditioned us to go... I think it's very hard for people to think about when they're 65. You know, I, I, I think they're dreaming about a, an imaginary heaven called 65. Retirement, because, yeah. Yeah, retired yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything is cool. And yeah. it, it isn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you were really thinking about 65, you'd be... Uh, 
you'd be totally happy to pay plenty of taxes so that you have a, a good uh, governance and pension funds and lots of things. But people don't think like that. They're like, no way, mate, you know. Yeah, so they're really thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not really thinking about yeah. it. But they're throwing money away for that day when they retire because society's kind of conditioned us to go, you need to have enough, you need to have enough on superannuation, you need to have investments, you need to have a property, you need to have this paid off, you need to work towards this this um, this line in the sand of 65 or 70. So a lot of times we're, as a society, we're pushed towards that, which increases our anxiety no, but, uh, each This day. is where stress really starts to creep in, is where people can't balance between, like, you know, you've got to show up for work and you get your paycheck at the end of the month. And that's it. Just sit back and relax. Mm. But like somehow the stress is, is like somehow that's not enough. Uh, you know, I've got to be on call all the time. I've got to be instantly available all the time. Um, my company has to know my work number. Like there's a lot of like erosion uh, into people's time. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lack of boundaries around it. I mean, I used to be on call all the time myself and, you know, come in and fix things and... You know, I used to work shift work and all that kind of thing, you know. And the companies I worked for were 24-7, 365. Customers were all over the world. Yeah. So, you know, I was one of those people that was like front line to all of that kind of thing. And, um, you know, being able to put in healthy boundaries. And, and if that's your job, like really taking care of oneself, you know, making sure that, that, that there is recovery from and again these positive effects like loving kindness is an effect an emotion uh compassion is an emotion it's an effect loving uh sympathetic joy is an effect these are all priming the mind to recover whereas people like who are habituated around fear anxiety anger shame they, they are well prepared for the downfall you know they will react quickly to it but they don't recover quickly from it mm. so like a lot of good studies like chapel hill barbara fredrickson um like that's where they're you know when they're really they're trying to understand what are these emotions for like why are they beneficial why is beauty and awe a beneficial emotion why is gratitude a beneficial emotion because it helps us in the downfall just like my case earlier on when i mentioned about my dad passing away you know, why I didn't experience a tremendous grief. Like my brother and sister were with me and they were, they were like, you know, they were having a struggle with it, mm. with the situation. And I was like a bit embarrassed because I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling this like tremendous pain and stab in the heart. You know, my heart was opening up. So like these negative effects like fear, shame, anger are constricting the mind. You get into a tunnel vision. It's fight and flight or shame is drop. And there's a whole, you know, sympathetic, parasympathetic system around these emotions of like, you know, uh, conserving things. Fight or flight is all the blood is going out to the, um, the limbs, ready to run or to, you know, move away. Uh, in shame, it's the opposite. All the blood is going into the internal organs and, you, you know, you go white and you faint. Because basically you're getting ready to be eaten. And, you know, the tiger or the lion is going to go for your limbs. They're not going to go for your guts usually in the first shot. So you might survive the attack. So it's very, very essential. But the problem is, is that the mind is also narrowing down. It's becoming constricted. You know, it's sort of like uh, when there's too much light shining on you, the eye, the pupil constricts. Whereas with these positive effects, the mind is opening up. It's more 
open to the situation. It's more seeing different possibilities and opportunities and it's seeing a way out. It has more choices. So a lot of the time in stress, I would say that people are, are looking at the world in a very limited way. You know, they're seeing only one way, one way, one way. And often there isn't. And you often wonder why, why they couldn't they have stepped back and why they couldn't have seen a different possibility and <laughs> see that the glass was maybe half full, not half empty and so on. And I, and I you know, I don't like that Pollyanna advice about, you know, be positive. It isn't about being positive. It's about being real with one's situation. And that's what mindfulness is for. Mindfulness isn't a judge. Mindfulness is just knowing things it's, it's helping us to know things the way they really are. And wisdom itself then is, is actually knowing things as they really are. That means unfiltered. Like knowing that I'm in suffering, knowing I'm having a hard time, knowing that this is a difficulty. I mean, if you're, if you're a, you know, a young couple, you've just had your first kid and you're in the first year of your first kid, well, officially you are going to be highly stressed. You are going to be sleep deprived and it's really freaking hard. You know, and there's a lot of good population studies like the German, you know, census have done very careful studies of this. You know, that is the most difficult year is the first year of your first child. And the other time is 16. You know, when I meet 16 year olds and teens, my gosh, that's going to be tough. <laughs> Straight off the bat. It's very difficult. You know, parents are going, oh, my teens are bloody mumpy and grumpy and they're all this and that. Man, it's hard. Yeah. Look, it's officially hard, you know. Why do adults forget that they were 16 once? It's like, <laughs> yeah, and, so then, many and, then people. and then sing at them a sweet 16, you know, really bugging the hell out of them. There's nothing sweet about it at all. Yeah, I know, it's quite a stressful. Yeah. What did so, you do? You went off and joined the army or something, was it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> was oh, I was gone, yeah, I was right. Yeah, there's nothing sweet about me then. Anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> <laughs> Another life. <laughs> Just like you ran away, I ran away. <laughs> I didn't run away. I didn't have any, we didn't have work in Ireland. <laughs> I stayed. Defended the shores. <laughs> I'm just joking. Gee, I tried to stay. You know? <laughs> There's a nationalist in me too. You know? it's, uh, but, you know, that's been real about my situation and uh, being okay with it. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, like as a migrant, for instance, there is uh, grief in leaving one's homeland and so on and and by the way there's migratory grief the opposite of going back like i went back to ireland uh, after 20 years living overseas i was at home in ireland for about a year and i i experienced such loss and grief because of the change the whole place is upside down and that's you know, how i feel yeah and everything was better <laughs> But I felt sad yeah. because of the change. And sadness is the, ex the felt experience of loss and change. Yeah. Loss and change. So to grieve things properly is to actually be with the sadness and process that change, even if it's better. Like when I was yeah, around, yeah. Everything, be everything was better at home, yeah, yeah. to be honest. I'm not trying to knock the past, but it was better. You know, I'm not one of these people that goes, it was great in the old days. It wasn't necessarily... You know? But I think sometimes when you're aware, like I've only been back a few times, but when you're aware mm. and you're right, you go back and you go, wow, look at all this, everything's changed. Mm. It's very different. Mm. But when you go into your old haunts of a bar or a coffee shop, wherever mm. it is, you don't see the same old characters. That nostalgia is gone of like, oh, that's all completely gone. That building's mm. knocked down. I remember going there, mm. you know, my mm. bicycle or whatever mm. it is. So. Well, well, migrant communities can be very uh, conservative. You know, like Irish dancing got wiped out in Ireland mm. and it was being maintained in New York. You and know, here and, in Australia uh, as well. And here in Australia. Yeah. yeah, I'm always shocked when I meet all the yeah. Irish dancers here in Australia. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we can be very conservative, 
you know? I've met fifth-generation Newfoundlanders who spoke Irish. Like, <laughs> I was, like, amazed. You know, we had lost it in Ireland, yeah, and they yeah. were still maintaining these things. But, uh, like, uh, you know, um, but it's dealing with that change. Like, we can we cannot change. And that's a cause for stress and suffering, too, you know? And alienation and a sense of, uh, rather than actually, like I said, wisdom is, is knowing things as they really are. And mindfulness is, you know, just presenting them the information to the mind, you know? So wisdom and mindfulness are separate functions of the mind. So wisdom is an emergent property from knowing what is. So the thing that presents wisdom information to the mind is, is is mindfulness and other things so are businesses and people kind of getting mindfulness a bit wrong these days has it kind oh, of yeah, augmented totally, totally wrong yeah uh, it's it's just it's just look it's the, the bright and it's the shiny new thing in the world you know and and buddhism is a very sophisticated very deep religion and it takes a hell of a long time to even you know get some grasp of what's going on in it you know it, it this isn't this isn't some cool age you just pop the lid and drink it back and it's 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 you know all done we got it figured it out you know and and you know it's you know we can be pretty arrogant in the west that we we've got everything sussed out and the west is the best and asians haven't got a clue what's going on no they, they've been developing uh, something for two and a half thousand years and we should really be very careful and respect it and it's very contextual and it, it isn't like one aspect again like uh, it's more of a like for me like the life as a buddhist monk is more of a shotgun you know you, there's a lot of lots of different little bullets that I, that i will have in my you know to i i don't you know there's no magic one bullet type thing you know so that's skillfulness and dexterity around these different approaches you know so what what should people do um if they're sitting, listening to this and mm. going, well, I've been practicing mindfulness and I'm trying to be happy. I'm not being happy. Mm. Now I'm hearing that actually, mm. you know, there's different parts of this. and it's, mm. I'm not supposed to be just completely, mm. you know, overjoyed every moment of the day. Um, what sort of things should people do going forward to put this in action in a, in a daily basis? What would be like maybe kind of two or three tips that people could do to try to be, be more actually mindful? Well, well, I, I think the first thing is to know that that mindfulness is not going to make you happy. You know, mindfulness is just going to let you know how things really are. I mean, if you if you hear about or experience bad news, you, you should feel bad. You know, if you don't feel bad, you're probably a psychopath. You know what I mean? Uh, you, there's something wrong with you to some degree if you don't or else you're numb or you're indifferent. You know, and we, we, we can be, we can have a learned or trained indifference towards things, you know, just, just, just another news item. And I, I don't think we're really built for modern news of where we know about a disaster on the other side of the planet. Like to some degree, okay, that's useful information, but what can I do about it? Nothing. Mm. So again, having healthy boundaries and mindfulness is very useful about boundaries. You know, like mindfulness is like, I can be aware that somebody has been aggressive and attacking me you know, emotionally or, or spiritually or physically or verbally or anything like that. Like, it's very interesting, this Me Too thing, like of where you have a lot of these actors and actresses and, you know, in many ways, they're very, very powerful, big character people. And then you wonder why they didn't, why they got abused and things like that. They didn't feel permission to say no, or they didn't pick up on things or, you know, so, so many mental factors going on in there that they weren't, maybe they weren't mindful or they were mindful and they didn't have the right strategies. So we need to have mindfulness and we need to have right strategies to come in 
to bear on it. That's why I'm a big fan of rules of thumb and heuristics, you know? Like if you're out on a mine site, you need to have a checklist and you need mm. to be following the procedures. And uh, the same with the surgeons, like I hope they're <laughs> deploying more and more of these checklists, you know? Did you, did you take the scalpel out of the body before you, you sutured it up? You Which know, happens they, more they put, than you think. <laughs> yeah, and they put metal detectors yeah, yeah. In, in, in into the thing. They, they, you know, they count in and count out how <laughs> yeah. many things they had for the surgery. Yeah. You know, there's a good reason for doing that and put metal detectors beside them. You know, there's a very good reason. So you, it isn't just being mindful. I also need to know what to do. I have my checklist of things to do. You know, and I can recognize, like, so for me, one of my checklists is just like, I will scan my body and go, where am I feeling tense? Where am I feeling stressed? Oh, okay, that's my trigger if I have fear. That's my trigger if I have shame. That's my trigger of I'm relaxed. So, you know, if somebody says to me, like, oh, you're really looking tense. Well, maybe I, I'm just looking a little serious. I'm not smiling or laughing yeah, or yeah. something like that. But I, I might like, no, actually, I feel okay. And, and somebody will, oh, you look great. No, actually, I don't. I feel really sad, but I'm just kind of fronting up. You know, this is knowing my checklist, knowing my thing, and then doing something about it. This kind of making an amends towards myself or towards others, you know, that's very important. Then I sleep easily if I have if I have a, a clear mind, mm. you know. So again, another aspect of Buddhism is, is what we call morality. So having good morality is a great cause for sleeping well. If you live a good, clean life, you know, you don't have much to be, you know, upset about. You know, I teach in prisons and, you know, those guys have, have stuff to to think about, you know, and, and they are disturbed by their own actions, you know. They, do, they don't sleep easy, I assure you. Whereas I, I often, like sometimes I'm, I might feel upset that I wasn't skillful or something like that with myself. I'm like, I, let, let me give myself a break here because I, I don't actually, you know, I live a pretty clean life. And it allows me to put aside those uh, transgressions. I mean, if you're a father and you're out, fly in, fly out here, you know, you're away from your family three weeks or four weeks or whatever, you're on a shift and you're missing things and your kids are growing up around you and you're doing your flat out best to support your kids. You know, you've got to give yourself a bit of credit, you know, and, um, you know, know that I'm living a good, clean life and I'm supporting my family to lead a good, clean life. And th that's a very powerful support but that requires all day long, me kind of like living a good, moral, clean life. I'm not thieving, I'm not lying to people, I'm not beating people up, I'm not a thug. You know, I live, you know, I, I, let, let, me, let me not be that inner tape, that inner critic, you know, where nothing is good enough and this is all, you know, terrible. Mm. No, hang on a second, here's my checklist. I didn't kill anybody today, I didn't thieve anything today. You know, I've been straight with my partner. I haven't been lying, you know, I haven't been abusing myself with drugs. Okay, all good. You know, the, the big things in life, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's really important. How else are you going to sleep if you feel like a rat bag, you know? <laughs> <laughs> rat bag. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting. So if, if people are listening to this and they're going, well, that's all well and, well and yeah. good. That's Buddhism, you know, I'm yeah. an Anglican, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Protestant. Yeah. No, this is just human. This is just, yeah, that's yeah, what I said. How human. does this apply regardless of religion? Does it, does it apply? Do you have it, it, to be a Buddhist to do this? Do you have to, can you, look, can you pick Buddhist and choose? Buddhism only arose because the Brits ran into these Theravada monks in Burma. 
Yeah. And they were saying, what the hell are you? And who's your leader? Jedi and, and, and so they would say, the Buddha is our leader. So then they were, that's where the word got coined, a Buddhist, you know, uh -huh. a follower of okay. Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the Brits didn't get it. If they, the, because the monks weren't calling themselves Buddhists. What they were calling themselves was, we, we follow the teachings of the Buddha. Yeah. We follow the teachings of the Buddha. Okay, you know, the, 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 what was the Buddha teaching about? He wasn't teaching Buddhism, you know, like <laughs> meism. Sign up here online. <laughs> yeah, you know, even, even you know, I, I don't think Jesus was going around going, you know, Christ, you know, yeah. you know, my, my gig, you know, and, and, and brand Christ, um, <laughs> Trademark. The, the Christ club. No, it yeah. wasn't. We're the followers of Christ. We're followers of teachings of Christ. Yeah. And, and hopefully they're uh, teaching us good human values and good... Um, good practices and a lot, a lot of the heuristics of, of leading a good life can be found in various different traditions most traditions teach about generosity and morality mm -hmm. those are core teachings in most religions i mean we we, we may have differences uh, about certain teachings like uh, in buddhism we don't teach about ghost stone gay people or something like that you can't find that kind of teaching you know or we're not big advocates of jihad and going killing people like that our first principle is to not kill so you don't find yeah. these teachings in our religion um but you know uh you know I, I think one of the big core teachings in buddhism is that there is suffering and there's a lot of very useful methods in buddhism towards dealing with that suffering it, it isn't just in your face yeah life sucks suck it up it's no life sucks here's a load of different approaches to dealing with yeah. that because in what way it sucks matters you know uh like sometimes like people will say okay you're a monk be friendly you know have a loving kindness and, and sometimes i'm just like not i'm not there with the loving kindness <laughs> like this this person's been extremely nasty yeah. to me i'm feeling very hurt okay i can be with my hurt that's called compassion i'm gonna be i'm gonna be with my hurt and once the the compassion is flowing then i can switch to loving kindness you know back in the day i didn't i didn't start with loving kindness i started with compassion you know very very powerful and again the same with gratitude forgiveness very important you know i find those wonderful teachings again you know there's this horrible expression in buddhism called let go just let go you know you're suffering let go you know it's like forget it how do you let go <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Forgiveness, gratitude, very helpful. And do it. You know, it's a bit like reps. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. If you're not, if you're not actually, uh, you know, what is that high intensity? You know, doing your little oh, high yeah, intensity yeah, yeah. reps. Like, uh, to, like you can do like Tabata, like times on and time off. Like it's like high, yeah, high, high, high reps re for thirty seconds and ten seconds recovery. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tabata well, protocol. You know, you need yeah. to do these things. You need to do your your maybe uh, like your laundry list at night and. Yeah write down your three things that you're grateful for and you might say well maybe this there's nothing to this it doesn't seem like it's not a big it's no skin off my nose to do this it's it, it this can't be powerful but i assure you those things accumulate you know just like the 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 um the straws in a broom you know when you put them all together you can sweep a path with them alone they're not that strong you know so yeah so get if people are kind of doing the gratitude, mm. writing on their laundry list, you know, trying some mindfulness and it's mm. not coming to them mm. and they feel like they're kind of faking it, should I keep faking it until they make it? Should I keep practicing, putting in the reps, like you say, until, and then eventually a breakthrough might come true for that person? Actually, the, you know, the, again, a lot of, a lot of this thing about feeling it is, is a big issue, you know? Um, <laughs> 
like again uh, a lot of people think that say uh loving kindness is 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 something like affection like i feel really doughy-eyed about my enemy no that's not how you feel you feel very cool it's more like a a, a kind regard you know uh like uh, when i teach a lot of asians uh, say love and kindness th they mistake it all the time for affection so they they'll remember their favorite person and they'll get really uh sort of almost tear up thinking about their mother who's was so kind and helped them so much in their life that is not loving kindness that is affection you know no more than on the other hand like feeling very hot and angry about somebody you know okay i i i, I don't like that feeling but actually, love and kindness is is defined as being very cool and very. Um, it's 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 described as literally being almost physically cold, physically cool. You know, so it's 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 being with the, having a kind regard for the person. Yeah. And the same with um, with compassion. It, it, it compassion again. The failure in compassion is is that I'm numb and I'm indifferent. I'm not getting. The, I'm not there with another person suffering. And on the other side of it is is that I feel bereft and weak and 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 absolutely woeful about the suffering. In fact, it's 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 holding it in between, having a, a sense of. Um, empowerment and bite around that i don't feel powerless around the suffering so but it's still a, a quite a, a, a neutral feeling in fact as these things become very highly developed they become more and more equanimous of where uh it's described as being like the the post at a city gate you know one of these very big strong powers it's very firm it doesn't move you know so these emotions once they're well developed become very implacable and a force of nature you know, like I always think of Mother Teresa, she apparently visited Beirut back in the day. And, uh, you know, she was a force of nature. And she was coming to save the, the children of Beirut, who were getting bombed left, right and center by the, the Christians, the Muslims and the Druze. You know, literally three different armed forces shooting them up and the kids were getting killed on the way to school. And Mother Teresa went, arrived, walked down the streets, picked up kids. And all of them did not want to be known to have killed Mother Teresa. So they called a ceasefire for the whole time that she was there. You know, like, this is the kind of, this is what I would call like, you know, that just absolute firmness that comes up around like, you know, if you have real compassion for things, you know, you really feel firm. Or, you know, loving kindness is, is you really have somebody's back. You know, you, you have their back. It's not like, oh, doughy-eyed affection and stuff like that. And, you know, I scratch your back and you scratch mine. You know, you, you have that person's back. You see their faults, but you still, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm there with you, you know. Yeah. So they, these are very powerful emotions and they, they need to be cultivated, you know, just as, as somebody, you know, exercise for life. So I, like I used to cycle to work. I hated gym. So I had to cycle to work, yeah, you know, yeah. make make it my day, part of my day. And yeah. I couldn't get home if I didn't cycle. My wife wouldn't pick me up, yeah. you know. No, I totally understand. That's how I feel with exercise. Yeah. I have to exercise every day, like no matter what. It just, it's a non, yeah. it's a non-negotiable yeah. that has to happen. Yeah. Because yeah. I know for my own mental health yeah. and my own physical well-being, if I don't yeah. do it, I'm going to feel like crap. I don't sleep yeah. well. And it's the yeah. biggest thing. I have to yeah. plan. I plan that in for the week ahead right. before I plan in ever, anything yeah. else. And so... You know, people go, oh, but, you know, you could have went there and you could have done this. And yeah. like, no, but I wanted to go for a swim or I wanted to go for a mm. run or a walk or I wanted yeah. to swing kettlebells around. Yeah. It's a non-negotiable, just like yeah. going to the bathroom, eating food. Brushing your teeth. It's a non-negotiable. It's, it's a physical hygiene and yeah. a mental hygiene and a sleep hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know if I don't exercise, 
like I say, I feel like crap and I don't yeah. sleep well. Yeah. And I think what you're alluding to yeah. you know, today in this conversation is the same thing about cultivating the mind during the day mm. to reduce... You, and, you are what you think. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and also as well, like so many people mm. that we interact with as sleep scientists, mm. for example, or even mm. myself, they kind of come and go, right, well, I'm not sleeping very well. I go to bed at nine, mm. I get up at six. What can I do? You mm. go, wait now, don't even think about yeah. the sleep part. Let's look at the, the yeah. rest of the 24 yeah, totally, hours yeah. because we have to kind yeah. of look at what's leading yeah. into that. And like you say about the airplane coming yeah. in on the flight path, yeah. getting ready to land, yeah. we start looking at not only during the yeah. day, yeah. But the whole week, the right. whole month, That's right. the cycle of a how season for athletes, how you live your yeah. life, and kind of what yeah. what you're doing. And we look at the overall picture. And a lot of people go, well, why are you asking these questions? Mm. And exactly, because we have to take that holistic picture, mm. because sleep is a portion of that, mm. but it's the entry into it, and it's mm. the and the exit from it as well. And so mm. this often happens with athletes where... Yeah, but we just play a game on a Saturday night. We just want to be ready for that. Mm. We, that's why we break it down. We say there's pre-game mm. or pre-competition. Mm. There's the game, there's the competition, mm. and there's the post. Mm. And so there's often this mm. conversation about when do you go from pre-competition to recovery? Mm. You know, when does it go from physical preparation to recovery? Mm. Mm. And those lines are very difficult to draw for some people. Mm. But again, we have to try and build elements of those into the mm. entire cycle. Mm. And I think some of the strategies you've spoken about today... Mm can be built into everybody's cycle no matter what sort of phase they're in whether it's a heavy mm. workload holidays grief mm. exercise yeah 16 years of age dying yeah there's parts of this can be built into every stage of your life right right it's it, it's in fact a way of living life yeah and and you know you bring your life in line with your goals yeah. so if you're going to be an athlete you you got to bring your life in line with your goals if, if you want to have a gold medal you better be doing the work yeah up front uh, to do that I mean you, you know I, I follow some of the athletes I mean Phelps amazing guy yeah. you know like I remember his last the last Olympics that he trained for you know like I don't know I, did he do four Olympics I think so I think I'm he did four not a great swimming follower yeah okay I don't want them to smoke and weed I, I remember I hope, that I hope our podcast <laughs> listeners can forgive us if, we use, if, if I say four Olympics he did a anyway lot. <laughs> his last Olympics he totally changed his training plan because he, you know it's just so hard to train for swimming right you've got to get up early oh, and swim and swim yeah. and swim and swim <laughs> and eat what was it 16,000 calories a day or oh, something, something insane something crazy yeah. yeah so what he did was he, he got into the whole rocky thing he, so he went back to his own local gym it's and he was cool. training he yeah, was yeah. training with like like metal bars and yeah, st- yeah, you know yeah, really yeah, like yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. to to kind of do that rocky thing you know the, the the fight back looking for the hunger yeah but it was all <laughs> mental yeah that was all in a sense it was all mental it was all the motivation it was all the you know he brought his life in line with his goals yeah you see you don't need the best equipment and all the rest in that sense. I also heard as well that his coach met him, like, at, at that last Olympics, I read this, that his coach would make him deal with difficult situations. So, for example, mm. a lot of swimmers mm. will go in and go, right, do your fast 50, you know, mm. like sprint to 50. Mm. And then halfway through, they'll be like, oh, my God, it's got fogged up, water leaked in. Mm. The coach was like, deal with it. Yeah. Just deal with it. Keep going. Find a strategy to get up, to overcome yeah. it. So, kind of having these little moments of adversity yeah, through yeah. the way and then similarly yeah. in one of his swims in the Olympics his goggles did start leaking and he and he still won because yeah, yeah, he had yeah. kind of practiced, practiced the, um, yeah. 
I suppose that the corner cases, yeah, in yeah. In, in training, and yeah. so it's practicing those yeah. failures or those scenarios yeah. is is really helpful too. Yeah, you know, I th you know, as long as it's skillful. Like I'll give another example of of somebody who was trained around difficulties. Tiger Woods, like his father was a, a special forces commander or something oh, really? like that, and oh. so he 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 taught Tiger Woods from a very early stage about you know exposing him to fear and all of that. Yeah from like when he was about 10 years of age or something on, but I totally screwed him up. You know, a lot of what you saw in the last few years is Tiger Wood, the fallout of that, of where, you know, so, so there is, there is a, it has to be done in, an, in a caring way. Mm. You know, so I, again, like, um, like I, I mean, I remember hearing about your, your weekend retreat and you're dreading, oh, you're going to have to sit cross-legged. Yeah, yeah. Like when people come on my retreats, let me tell you, there is, I am, I am from, from beginning to end telling people, do not sit cross-legged. Sit on a chair if you're not used to it and take it easy. And, you know, we don't have the, this getting up early particularly, you know. For me, it's about the workload across the day. Are you working across the day? And mindfulness and meditation is looking at the heart, the mind. The mind has got nothing to do with the body, you know. So, you know, if the body is comfortable, then you can put it aside and look at the mind. Yeah. You know, so often it's a good time at night, like just before going to sleep, is to cultivate a kind regard for oneself. You know, to look kindly upon oneself, having like things that I'm grateful for. And then like um, thinking about like, you know, maybe bringing up um, people that I cared for in my life and that have cared for me and that I feel good about. You know, that I have a good narrative around and and I maybe I can visualize what they did, that act of kindness that they yeah. did for me. And then I can start to have that little kindness for myself. So if you if you hear many of my guided meditations, that's the general motif of where uh, I try to visualize or try to remember very carefully, you know, some example of compassion, some example of, of loving kindness. And I feel good about myself. And then I go to sleep very easily. And I'll give you another example of some hygiene around sleep. Again, a friend of mine, he had a lot of sleep issues. And um, he had been quite abused as a child, you know, physically, verbally, sexually, the whole shoot and match. And um, it led into addiction and all kinds of issues. But one of the counselors was quite perceptive and asked him about his sleep. And he, uh, so she gave him some, like a whole list of recommendations. So one of the things was like to do things that were caring and loving for himself. So he would take a warm shower and he would, he would like turn that, make the bed and turn it down. And he would, he would chill the pillow in a fridge so that it was cold. Okay. Like, and um, he would lock the door of the room to make sure he was secure. And he would even look yeah, under yeah. the bed and behind the bed to make sure he was secure and, and like be able to consciously say to himself, I am safe, I am secure, this is okay. Yeah. And and then, you know, get into bed and just before he was going to sleep and, and, you know, not spend like a long time getting to sleep and restless. If he, if he was, he would get up. So creating know? the right environment. Yeah, and having a journal and journaling down like things mm. that he had done in the day and, and cleaning his mind. And I would add into that gratitude is very helpful, just like brushing your damn teeth, you know. <laughs> Don't go to bed without brushing yeah, your teeth. Yeah. Don't go to bed without some gratitude going on. And, and just cultivating a, a kind regard towards self and others and others and self. Yeah. Bring it in. We can, we can be very hard on ourselves and we, we often are not very good at getting, a, getting to grips around being kind to ourselves. Mm. You know, we can be great towards our kids and our wife and everything else and absolute Nazis towards ourselves. Horrible. You know, so change that tape and that tape gets wound in very early between about five and seven years of age. 
you know, and it's it's usually based on cue words that we've been hearing from our caregivers in that time. So often we've got to re re-edit that tape. Yeah. You know, uh, so we are saying nice things to ourselves. You know, again, a lot of stress is arising from just that. Um, like the original word stress is coming from like metallic fatigue. You know, constantly, um, you know, manipulating a you know, yeah, wearing a metal. So it's the same, we do that same thing mentally, of where we, we constantly are beating ourselves with a whip. You know, it's not, not helpful, not helpful. You know, and people will say it's motivation. It's not motivating, it's debilitative, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so if people want to um, follow you online and look yeah. at some of your, uh, or listen to some of your guided meditations or even look at mm. them, because they're on YouTube as well, mm -hmm. um, where, where's the best way or how can people access these is just on YouTube. Yeah, uh, YouTube. There's a there's quite a few of my talks. Um, there's a like that's Buddha Rakita, B U D D H A R A K K H I T A. Why couldn't you pick an easier name? Who gives I, you the, Who give I, you the I, name? I, I was given it. It took me a year to get over it. <laughs> um, just be mindful. It's nice. It's nice. It's a nice name though. It means the Buddha protects me, and that's all I've had at times. And. Uh, <laughs> No, if you follow these teachings, then you'll know their benefit. Yeah. So um, faith in Buddhism is just the faith to act on, on certain teachings. And if you do, you'll know their benefit. And if you don't, you'll never know what they are. So uh, maybe we can put some links in the talk yeah. as well. So that maybe directly to some of my talks and things like that, that I've been talking about, like forgiveness, uh, compassion, loving kindness, sympathetic joy, and... Um, yeah, gratitude, yeah. So many of them, I think, are on the Buddhist Society of Victoria. The Buddhist Society Victoria, of Victoria, Victoria Australia, Australia, Australia. Yeah, that's right. BSV. Yeah. Um, also, as well, if you are searching his name mm. and it comes up, mm. there is another from Uganda the white guy so I was like, the, oh, the black guy. why does this guy keep coming up? And I was like, yeah, he's more famous than I am, so that's is okay. He? Okay, but anyway, so some of your talks are labeled with Dr. Buddha Rakata. Yes. So for, yes. for some people, yeah. Um, yeah, you're as pasty white as I am. So mm. if you if you come across a white guy with an Irish accent. And you, blue eyes. A, a blue eyes, there yes, you go. there you go. So yeah. All right. Thank you very much for, for being our guest on Steve for Performance Radio podcast yeah. today. Really appreciate it. And, um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. I hope it was beneficial. and. Uh, I think people would like this. I hope people leave some good comments behind so that we can get some feedback. Good. Trolls, right. keep away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sleep well. Too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce. Too many bowls of that green, no lucky charms. The maids come around too much. Parents ain't around enough. Too many joy rides in daddy's Jaguar. Too many white lies in white lines. Super rich kids with nothing but loose ends Super rich kids with nothing but fake friends Start my day up on the roof There's nothing like this type of view Point the clicker at the tube I prefer expensive news New car, new girl New ice, new glass New watch, good times, baby it's good times, yeah. Wash my back three times a day. This shower has been so amazing. We'll both be high. The help don't stare. They just walk by. They must don't care. A million, one, a million, 
bottles of this wine we can't pronounce. Too many bowls of that green, no lucky charms. The maids come around too much. Parents ain't around enough. Too many joy rides in daddy's Jaguar. Too many white lies and white lines. Super rich kids with nothing but loose ends. Super rich kids with nothing but fake friends. Real love. I'm searching for a real love. Oh, real love. I'm searching for a real love. To what you can't imagine. We are the Zanny Nashin', Caddy Smashin', Braddy Assy, Maddie Snastin', Daddy's Jaggin', use this shit for batting practice. Adam and Annie thrashing, purchasing crappy grams with half the hand of cash you handed. Panic and patch me up, Pappy done lashkeed us, toying with raggy hands, and Mammy done had enough, brash as fuck, reaching all these aqueducts. Don't believe us, treat us like we can't erupt. Yeah. We end our day up on the roof I say I'll jump, I never do But when I'm drunk, I act a fool Talking about Do their so wings until it suits I'm on that ledge She grabs my arm She slaps my head Cause good times get here Sleep summer, slip or fall A million one, a million cash Close my eyes and feel the crash Too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce Too many bowls of that green, no lucky charms The maids come around too much Parents ain't around enough Too many joy rides in daddy's Jaguar too many white lies and white lines. Super rich kids with nothing but loose ends. Super rich kids with nothing but fake friends. Real love, ain't that something rare? I'm searching for real Fantastic product. Cubit.